much for this day. We thank you for this study of Isaiah. Yeah. It's just such a rich book that we just we can't even begin to cover all of it, Lord, that we know. Um, that you were just um, all throughout it, just showing us who Christ is. And we just, we just pray that you would um, just give us more wisdom to, to learn more about your word and give me um, just the words to say that would bring you honor and glory this morning. In your faith, amen. Okay, so today we are focusing on Isaiah, Christ the King, as we did in our um, our small group study. And I just wanted you to know up front that um, I've taken notes from our study with Nancy Guthrie. I think she does a great job of the overview of Isaiah and the questions that she asks in the personal study and in the discussion questions and then in his teaching chapter. I think she just she covers a lot of what I, I wanted to cover. So I'll be... Um, You'll be hearing a lot of what we may have already gone over, but that's because I feel like she did a great job with it. Also, um, the um, what the Old Testament authors really cared about, I used this in my overview, but um, Isaiah, the Isaiah chapter is um, written by Gary Smith, so you'll hear some things. I may not specifically say this is from him, but you'll hear some things from that. And the ESV study notes were written by Raymond Ortland um, on Isaiah, and so you'll hear me. Um, give some of those, and I may reference some of those particularly, and some of them I may not. But just so you know up front, those are where I got my most of my information from um, to help kind of balance out what, what we see in Scripture. Um, just to introduce it, this is my favorite book in the Old Testament. I love Isaiah, and um, my, my favorite chapter is actually chapter 55. We're not really going to talk about 55, but, um, but anyway, um, if you'll remember from my overview, it's the longest of the prophetic books has 66 chapters, so of course we're not going to be able to cover all of that, but um, we're going to dive into to quite a few of the scriptures, and as I said then too, it seems the most obvious to point to Christ to me, um, and you know, we have his kingly nature, his birth, his death, his second coming, and I mentioned that then too, so um, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Isaiah prophesied over four decades and four reigns of Judean kings. So Josiah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Usually I don't focus a lot on the kings or the backgrounds, but I think it's important here. Um, in the reign of Uzziah, Judah became proud and trusted in their own strength. And if you remember too, at the end of Uzziah's life, um, he has leprosy on his forehead because he went into the temple and he wasn't supposed to. And um, and so when he dies, he's been reigning for 52 years, and he's been the only king they've known, and the people have kind of gone down the path that Uzziah did as well. He had done things that were right in the eyes of the Lord, but by the end of his life, that had shifted. And so Judah was proud, trusting their own strength, didn't, didn't think they needed God. Um, and then we also have um, Ahaz. I'm jumping to him, but he refused to trust Yahweh. He was completely... A, a bad king. Um, and Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 17, that the Assyrians would destroy his land, and, and that, that happened. Um, overall, there's a warning not to look to foreign nations for help. We see um, the nations being judged. We see um, God destroying their alliances with other nations, with Assyria and Babylon, who were the big power players at that time. And then we see that the book of Isaiah makes clear that Yahweh is king not only of Israel, but of the whole world. And so it's not just for Israel. We start to see this Gentile um, 
movement as well as just all the nations that are mentioned throughout the book. And another thing that we see is wrath and judgment of God or Yahweh, as Isaiah often puts it, and the seriousness of sin. And so there's several other themes that we could touch on with all of the things about the nations, all of the judgment of the nations and the oracles. Um, those things are important as well, but, but as far as what we're going to focus on with the prophets showing us, pointing us to Christ and Christ in the New Testament, we're going to focus mostly on um, this overarching theme that points to Christ himself and, as I said, his birth, his suffering and death, his second coming, and his overall kingdom nature. So there's no way we can cover the richness of all this text that points to Christ in this short time. Like I said, 66 chapters, that's a lot. But we're going to focus on three main divisions that personify Christ and point us to the New Testament. So at least 13 of the New Testament books, from what I can tell, including all four of the Gospels, quote Isaiah in some way. I mean, that's, that's a huge amount. I mean, that's pretty much half of the books in the New Testament that, that quote Isaiah at some point. Um, so these three divisions or the framework that we're going to use for Isaiah, you'll recognize it from what Nancy Guthrie said. I like what she, what she used. She said, we're going to look at Christ the divine king first. We're going to look at Christ the suffering servant. And then we're going to look at Christ the coming conqueror. And those are all titles within her teaching chapter that she had. So first, Christ the divine king. Um, this starts kind of after or in the midst of seeing the sinfulness of the people and the nations being against God. Um, the first five chapters kind of go back and forth with that. And in chapter 6, verses <coughs> 1 through 7, we see the vision and calling of Isaiah. And as I mentioned before, we have that. It was the year that King Uzziah died. God was that important. He'd been reigning for so long that um, Isaiah was concerned about the people and what would happen. And so for him to see this vision was a confirmation that the Lord was in control. So we have, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so there we see that Isaiah also recognizes not only are the people as a whole simple, but he is as well. He's not worthy to receive this calling. And then it says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your, your, sin, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so Isaiah then, he receives this blessing from the Lord, this grace that his sin has been taken care of and atoned for. And so this vision is not only a vision of um, what God is doing for Isaiah and how he has called him and how he has um, preserved him and how he's given him grace and atoned for his sins. We also see uh, how, um, and Nancy Guthrie brought this out, but we see this in John 12, 37 through 41, um, where Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 53, 1 and Isaiah 6, 10. And then in verse 41, John says, 
Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And so he said, I saw the Lord. Well, 610, um, Isaiah 6.10 says, Make the heart of his people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so that ver- those verses in John show that the people's hearts were hardened against the prophecy in the day of Isaiah, but also in the day of Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. And so the Jews reject Jesus as Messiah, and this was predict- predicted by a scripture, and it confirms God's sovereign plan. Um, got that from the ESV footnotes that um, not only is it a fulfillment in Isaiah that their hearts would be hardened, but in John as well, that the Jews would, would not believe. And in this vision that was seen, he says it's, it's the Lord, it's Jesus on the throne. And so Isaiah was given this to remind him that if God is sovereign and, and, and Christ is going to reign and he will be the fulfillment that we are looking for, not in this earthly king. Um, Nancy Guthrie puts it this way, that we, we like to think about that Jesus started with his birth. I mean, even though we know that's not true, it always we always focus on, you know, the birth of Christ. But she says Christ was always present, even before his birth. And this is a good example of that. That's in chapter 6 of Isaiah, that he was ruling and reigning um, from the beginning. And then he comes as a baby. So um, even though he was already there beforehand, he just took on that human form. Um, his kingly nature also prophesies his birth. So in Isaiah 7, 14, you have the sign of Emmanuel. And um, this says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so this, um, in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, Matthew says this, he quotes this exact verse from verse 7, 14. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so Matthew only applies this prophecy to Jesus and his birth. So there, this is one of those verses that there's a debate over among um, scholars of did Isaiah need to prophesy the Messiah or something pertaining only to his own day and the time of King Ahaz. Maybe this is dual fulfillment, but um, really it's a woven messianic theme throughout all of scripture. The birth of a promised son would give the people hope. We have examples of Eve and the promised seed in Genesis. And we have Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was this promised son that would, that would bring hope to them. Naomi is looking for a child to give her hope, and Ruth and Boaz provide that. Then Hannah, Hannah is praying for a son, and she receives Samuel um, as a blessing from the Lord. And so Isaiah prophesies this this child that will that will come. Emmanuel means God with us. This child will be God with us. Isaiah prophesies this because of that pattern that he sees, and my, and Matthew continues that pattern with the Messiah and his gospel because he's already seen Isaiah and other parts of the Old Testament talk about this promised one, this hope, this this son, and Matthew continues that with Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He is the ultimate promised one that we're waiting for. And so then we have Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness 
and this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see there that we have these divine names of this baby that's coming, it's a child being born, but yet we're already prophesying and predicting his kingly nature um, with wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I think you discussed those in your in your group time this morning, probably about just how powerful those his names are, that, that he would be an eternal eternal king. He wouldn't be just a, a ruler that would come and go like these other rulers had. Um, that he would be someone that would provide wisdom to the people where the kings are supposed to provide wisdom, but the earthly kings are not able to do that in, in a manner that is, that is faithful to the Lord or, or really truthful all along. They're, they're fallen, fallen men. But this is not that same kind of counselor. This is the wonderful counselor, the ultimate counselor. And the one that lives in peace. Um, you know, these nations are raging against each other, but this this particular king would be eternal and bring eternal peace to everyone. So then we have Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. That's a greater, a king greater than David is prophesied. He has a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a righteous branch. And what I thought was neat was that it parallels Isaiah 6, 13 said the holy seed is its stump. And this is after saying that the trees are going to be you know, knocked off, you know, they're going to be burned, everything's going to be laid barren, and then this, this, the holy seed is its stump. And then in Isaiah 11, we see there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And so it's just connecting these chapters together of you have this stump, but you know there's a seed there, and then it shoots forth, and it comes from Jesse. Well, that's David's father, but we know Jesus is the greater David. He is the greater king. He is the one that we are looking towards. And so the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And the delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So we see again here he's got this wisdom and this counsel and he's got this knowledge that no other king can compare to and he has the spirit of the Lord on him. We've heard that about other kings but this is an ultimate the spirit of the Lord does not depart from him like it did with Saul. You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon him and will not flee. Um, and so we just see this, this divine king who is coming. We're getting more and more information about him as, as we go through the book. And so, again, like I said before, there's a, there's a note here about in this section of Isaiah, chapters 12 through 40-ish, roughly, there's a lot going on with these smaller things. A lot of judgments against the nations. Nations are going back and forth, making alliances. A lot of people against the Lord. Um, just a lot of different things going on that we don't have time to touch on, but it's really fascinating as well. And then in Isaiah 32, we see again, it says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. And so just in the midst of all of this chaos of all these nations, we're reminded again, this king is going to reign. And that's a, um, a picture of the Messiah reigning ultimately on his throne over all the nations. Some application for us in this section, what, what, was, what does the divine king mean to us? I mean, we, 
even now we live in a crazy world that seems a lot like this where nations are against nations and war and different things going on and we don't understand. But God is sovereign over the nations and he has provided that hope for us, that ultimate hope in Christ. And so we have a hope that we can point people to in that divine king who we see throughout the whole Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament with his birth and his coming. And then we're waiting on his on his second coming, but he will always be the divine king from beginning to end. So that's just, I mean, just to unpack all of that was like, wow, like I, I love just jumping into all of that um, with just seeing how Isaiah just so perfectly thread all of that together and, and wove it together. And then how the New Testament, we at Christmas, I mean, we, we quote these verses constantly that they almost are, are too familiar to us. And just see, just studying it this week just reminded me that no, this is this is true for every day. We don't just sing or talk about these at Christmas time or at Easter or whatever. Like we're getting ready to get into the part about what we're going to talk about at Easter, but just this is for everyday life and this is the king reigning on the throne. So the second, the second part um, is Christ the suffering servant. So in chapters 40 through 55, we see this kind of embodied. Um, chapter 42, you see a shift where the um, to the Lord's chosen servant. And so there's references of the servant of the Lord sprinkled all throughout chapters 40 through 55. And sometimes it can be used as a title for the people of Israel as a whole, but at times it's a, it's a specific servant that we know as Christ. And as you see, at first, it seems like it's the, the people, but as you see, it will it will evolve into this. No, this isn't the people. This is Christ. This is the one that we're talking about, not a whole people group. And so it's clear that it's not Israel. It's the Messiah, the Christ. There's four servant songs in Isaiah that make this clear. The first one is 42, 1 through 9. In this, he says, um, he's my chosen in whom my soul delights, only one. Um, he has the blessing of God's spirit and he will bring God's justice to the nations in verse four. And so um, this is this is the first indication that it's one, one sole person. And then the second servant song is 49, one through 13. In verse three, and he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. So it says Israel there, but sometimes Christ, the servant, is called Israel. He's just a representative of, of the whole nation, a representation. But it is one singular servant, and that God will be glorified in him. It's a singular person from his mother's womb. He named my name. Um, verse 6, it says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So he's going to be this light for, for all to see. And then it clarifies that this servant is distinct from Israel, as I said, but he's a messianic figure. He's a royal, um, a royal figure, a prophetic figure, and, a, and he has a priestly role as well. So the prophetic nature is seen more in 49 verse 1 and then 50 verse 4. And then the priestly role is seen more in, in the last servant song. So the third servant song focuses more on his prophetic nature, which is um, it's in chapter 50 <coughs> verses 4 through 9. And so the, that third servant song focuses on he's a servant that is a rejected prophet. And that kind of focuses on his prophetic role. Verse 4 says, the tongue of those who are taught, and that um, 
is saying that he's a scholar. He's well-schooled in the, in the Word of God. Verse 4, he awakens my ear. The servant's responsive to God's Word, where the people at this time are not. But he has, he has the, the necessary knowledge. He has the responsiveness. And in verse 6, those who strike, those who pull out my beard, he accepts the abuse of opposition. So this is where the suffering starts to come in. Not only is he one that has received these um, these things, these attributes from the Lord, but he also will receive this abuse of opposition. Verse 7, my face, I have set my face like a flint. He chose his sufferings willingly, and he moved forward with resolute determination. Verses 8 and 9 bridges with Isaiah 53 because he asks the question, who is my adversary and who will declare me guilty? He asks both of those questions in those verses. And Isaiah 53, the next servant's song, will answer that in verses 4 through 6. So Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 is the one that you think of the most of the four servant songs. And it's the last one, the suffering servant. Verses 4 through 6 say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so it answers those questions like, he is, um, there's no one that can declare him guilty. He's not um, done anything wrong, but he has had this all poured on him. Um, so this, this text, the suffering servant in Isaiah, primarily in, in 53, is focused, um, we, we hear this all the time, quoted in the New Testament, and we, like I said, we use these verses at Easter to talk about how he suffered and how um, by his wounds were healed and how he died on the cross, but we are brought, um, brought before him and, and he has covered our sin with his wounds on the cross. This is um, quoted at least 85 times in the New Testament. And this shows this priestly role, especially in verse 11, um, where he's highly exalted, but he takes on the punishment that the other people deserve and, and bears their iniquities. And this is not only for that time, but for us now, as we know that, that he is the fulfillment, that Christ is the fulfillment of the, that he is the ultimate suffering servant. All the promises of God will come true because the suffering and triumphant servant removes their guilt before God by his sacrifice. And that's from the ESV footnotes. So we see the promises of God fulfilled in his, in his um, death on the cross. So in Acts 8, 32 through 35, um, you'll remember Nancy Duffy talked about this in the teaching chapter. Um, this is about, in the New Testament, where Philip is um, on the road and, and this Ethiopian is reading from a scroll and, um, and he says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So these are verses from that suffering servant song in Isaiah. And he said, 
and the eunuch said to Philip in verse 34, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About him, about himself, or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with, beginning with this scripture, he told about the good news about Jesus. And so we have this Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament who's asking, Is this about the prophet Isaiah, or is this about someone else? And he just opens the door for Philip to be able to share the gospel with him. Um, this is a clear use of the prophecy to claim the gospel to Gentiles. And another op obvious clarification that this is Christ, the suffering servant, and he's able to make that distinction and um, and share the gospel ultimately. And then we know that this Ethiopian was baptized and, and became a believer. Um, so an application for us with all of this, the suffering servant, why is this important? Well, aside from us needing to focus on how we are sinners and how he has covered our sin and take more the iniquity uh, of ourselves on, on him, um, we also can share this with others. All scripture is applicable for sharing the gospel uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Um, this includes the prophecy. Um, so we have, like I said, this example in Acts of where the Ethiopian comes to faith because of something he read in Isaiah. Um, and so... I know for me growing up, a lot of people are like, go to the Roman road, or read this gospel, and that's completely fine, but we don't need to miss the Old Testament truths that can point people to Christ as well. And we have the whole of Scripture that we can share with people, and depending on how much time you have, you might not be able to cover as much as you would like, but don't um, discount that someone may really be interested in that there's, this is a prophecy, this is fulfilled later, and that really might hit home with them. So think about that as you um, talk to people that you know that don't know Christ, and just, this could be something that they really are interested in that, I mean, I've never really thought about before of, of, of pulling in, like, these verses from Isaiah specifically to, to share. I think about, okay, start in Genesis, and we try to get all the way to the New Testament, and Christ, no, this is included as well. Um, so I feel like that's a good, a good statement, a good um, thing for us to remember, is that the suffering servant is applicable to us and applicable to, to what the gospel um, really is in our life and, and how we have been redeemed. So the last one is Christ becoming conqueror. And we um, we see that in chapters 56 through 66. So the end of the book, we have a future kingdom where Yahweh is present with his people. In chapter 60, 1 through 11, we see, Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has, has risen upon you. Um, darkness will cover the earth, but he's going to bring the light. He's going to be the one that comes and fulfills that. Um, then we have Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, which this actually, Nancy Guthrie talks about this, but Jesus reads this. He quotes this, the Spirit of the Lord of God. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon you because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, and it continues on. Um, but Jesus reads this. He stands up in the synagogue in Luke 4, 16 through 21, reads these scriptures, and at the end he says, This has been fulfilled in you hearing this. This is he's saying, This is about me. And um, I'm not really hip on on new things or whatever, but um, but I do think about this as like the, the mic drop. Like where he's just kind of, <laughs> maybe kind of standing there, and he reads the scroll, he closes it, he goes, "This is about me," you know. And it's just kind of like, okay, um, he has a bold confidence that no one else can 
even though they don't believe it or don't, some of them don't believe it or understand it, there's nothing they can say to say, well, how's this true? Like it's, they, they have nothing to back it up, nothing to prove that it's not true. And they, he just is like, I'm it. You know, this is this is the fulfillment right here. So he is saying, I'm I'm this one that's gonna, that that I'm here. I'm, I've come, and this is what my purpose is. But then there's an element too that's still to come. Um, in chapter 63, it says the conqueror will come with vengeance and judgment. And Messiah alone wins the victory for his people. We have the treading of the winepress, the crimson garments, and this par- parallels with Revelation um, 19:11 through 21. Again, you guys are going to make that correlation as well. Um, in verses six, 15 and 16 in Revelation 19, it says, "From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this aspect has to do with his second coming. We haven't seen this yet. It makes me think of the battle hymn of the Republic. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He will trample out the vintage where the grapes are proper stored. And he something about his terrible swift sword his truth is marching on um this i mean i just thought of that when i was reading this that this we're waiting for that second coming he will come in glory and so this hasn't quite this is the conqueror that we're talking about but this hasn't quite been fulfilled yet because we're waiting for his return so he is the fulfillment we know he is but this is still yet to come this vengeance this return um in fury and in glory for for those who believe and then we have the new heavens and the new earth. That hasn't come yet either um, for his redeemed people. We see this in, in chapter 65, verse 17, and in 66, 22. Both of those refer to the new heavens and the new earth that he's going to make. And the former things will not be remembered um, and that will come to mind that this will be a new thing. And this is, again, Jesus, the consummation of all things. He will return in glory and provide that. So an application here, we have to be vigilant. Um, we're waiting. We're waiting for that return. And so we have all of this wonderful prophecy that has been fulfilled, and then we have this little bit at the end. It's like, not yet. It's already not yet. We have this little bit that's left. But we're like, okay, we have faith and hope in him returning, and we're waiting for him to come back, and that's what our um, our joy and our you know conversations with people should be about. It's just we're waiting for him to return, and we have all of this to point to. We know it's going to happen because we've seen all these other things happen. He is this king, he is this suffering servant, and he is the coming conqueror, and he's fulfilled part of that, and he will continue to fulfill as we wait for his return. Um, And so that's just kind of the overview of Isaiah. Um, Divine king, suffering servant, coming conqueror, all of those are Jesus. And we are so just, we have no words to describe just how God has given us the grace to see that and be able to, to see in his word um, that he's provided for us and done everything for us and is the fulfillment of just all of this prophecy that I just, when I was studying, I was like, man, this is so good, but it just got me excited. But at the same time, it's like, we're so undeserving, um, but yet he chooses to lavish his grace upon us and allow us to see to see him um, in his fullness and to understand more about him. So. Um, let's pray, and um, we'll be done for today. Um, Lord, um, thank you so much just for your word and for um, this book of Isaiah and just the, the vision that Isaiah saw and the prophecies that he did. 
and how we just see that woven throughout scripture. You the New Testament picks up that you are Lord, you're reigning on the throne. You have always been there, and you um, you suffered and died for us. You returned and in glory, where you and you go to your praise, that you're you're going to return a second time, and to, to bring your people um, to you and to, to have a new heavens and a new earth.